0: Section four of The Voyage of the Pox, an Allegory by Dombeydd Cumm, O.S.B. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Mozart, Junior. And now my gaze wandered off to the Gloria Mundi, which was making her way northward towards the port of Voluptas. Her deck was crowded with gay passengers, who were laughing, talking loudly, drinking, and dancing, much as I had seen them doing before. It was some time before I could distinguish Utaichis. He was in the midst of a knot of young men, and close beside them was Symphorion. But poor Symphorion looked far from happy. His face was flushed, and in his eyes were the starting tears, although he was evidently doing his best to restrain them. Eutyches and his dissolute companions were mocking the poor boy. Look at the hypocrite, one was sneering, with his cross round his neck, as if he were so far better than the rest of us. Bah, I hate such canting, whining sneaks, cried another. "'Throw that accursed cross overboard,' roared a third, "'or we'll teach you better manners. Eutyches pretended to be more sympathetic. "'My dear Symphorion,' he said, "'you must see what bad taste it is to obtrude the prince's crest on a ship "'which does not belong to him. "'Do be like other people, and at any rate hide it in your bosom, "'as some do, who from a superstitious feeling of loyalty "'do not like to get rid of it altogether. "'But in spite of all the taunts of his companions, "'Symphorion would take no heed.' Breaking away from the band of his tormentors, he rushed to the bows of the ship, where he threw himself down, his hand still grasping the cross as if to guard it from attack. The scornful laughter of Utaichi's and his companions followed him to his retreat. The poor boy's breast heaved with suppressed sobs, and I felt how much happier he would have been had he chosen to remain on the pox. After some minutes he felt a hand on his shoulder and looked up to see Utaichi standing by his side. He tried to turn away. "'Nay, flout me not, my little cross-bearer,' began that youth, "'for I am not come to torment thee. "'In sober truth, my head is splitting. "'The wine is so strong that I can hardly keep upright. "'I only want a little quiet. "'Dost see how black the heavens have become, "'and the wind has grown to a gale? Methinks a storm is rising, and we are yet far from the port.' "'I would we were making direct for the golden city,' said Symphorian. "'My mind misgives me as to the port of Voluptas.' They see that there are hidden rocks and dangerous whirlpools in the gulf that leads to it. Nonsense, those are the old wives' fables they taught thee on the pox. It is a fine place, the most beautiful city in the world, and there are bazaars full of rich merchandise, and golden jewels and lovely gardens full of fruit and flowers, which a man may pluck as he will, and music and dancing all day long. Yes, but the king of the city is a cruel tyrant, and they say that he seizes on strangers, and sells them as slaves, and they have to work in the mines in misery and chains. But we do not attend to stop there. We shall only call and visit the sites and make some purchases, while the sailors unload the cargo, and then we shall be off again before the king has even heard of our coming. But, Symphorian, he added in a lower tone, I would thou wert not so foolish and so stubborn about the prince's sign. 'Twill not be safe, they say, to wear it at Voluptas, for the king of that country is our prince's mortal foe, and even here it is not well looked on. "'Can you not hide it away? As I do,' he added, sinking his voice to whisper, "'I would not they knew it, but I have not cast mine altogether aside, and still wear it concealed. "'Utaijis, I promised—no, I will never break my word. Well, thou art a fool for thy pains.' "'But what is that?' he cried in alarm, as the Gloria Mundi shivered from end to end, while a grating, tearing sound, terrible to hear, checked suddenly the laughter and the songs, and made every cheek turn pale. Then a cry arose, such a horrible, despairing cry, a shriek of agony, shrill and terrible, never to be forgotten. "'We are on the rocks! We are on the rocks!' Who can describe the awful scene of confusion that ensued? The passengers rushed about the deck, shrieking and tearing their hair. They rushed to the side of the ship— But could see nothing. Evidently the rocks were submerged. Meanwhile the ship continued to quiver and grate against the rocks, and the same terrible, tearing sound went on. The waves were very high, and though it was about noonday, a thick fog enveloped the doomed ship, and added to the misery and terror of its crew. Gradually the vessel began to subside, sinking down upon the larboard side, so that the deck was at almost right angles with the water. It was thus impossible to lower the boats and i saw Symphorion and Eutyches with other passengers clinging to the bulwarks on the upper side of the deck Eutyches was deadly pale and was evidently in an agony of fear alas i heard him cry i have lost the prince's sign now i shall never reach the golden city give me thine symphorian nay but thou saidst just now it was on thy breast ah but i have lost it help help he shrieked desperately and soon his cries were drowned in the roar of a great wave that came bursting over the sinking ship terrible were the scenes that followed the unhappy passengers frenzied by terror fought and cursed and blasphemed struggling each to reach some coin of vantage where they might escape the violence of the waves many fell shrieking from the bulwarks into the foaming water and were lost others climbed up into the rigging and shouted for the help that never came In a terribly short time, as it seemed to me, the ill-fated vessel gave a lurch, and turning over, sank beneath the waves. The crew and passengers were sucked down into the abyss. At this awful moment, I heard a call, and saw a large vessel drawing rapidly near. The fog was lifting, and I could see that she was the Precepta Dei. Some of the drowning mariners saw her too, and hailed her frantically. She answered promptly, and I saw several boats pushed off from her sides. They were able, however, to pick up but few of the shipwrecked passengers, who for the most part perished miserably in the seething waters before the boats could reach them. Symphorian and Utaiches, with one or two more, I saw clinging to a spar which had fallen from the rigging, and I noticed with awe that it bore the form of a cross, the prince's sign. Eutyches seemed to be horribly frightened, and he clutched the spar with frantic grasp. Just then I saw a wave dash over them, and the next moment, i saw the figure of the girl whom i had seen with Eutyches on the deck she was wildly shrieking and seeing the youth close to her she flung her arms around him saying save me save me Eutyches tried in vain to cast her off her drowning clasp tightened around him until with a horrible cry he was forced to let go of the spar a great wave carried the unhappy pair far away and soon they too were engulfed forever in the black waters Symphorian shut his eyes and shuddered with horror as their dying shrieks rang in his ear. A few moments later he was lifted out of the water, by strong hands, and laid half dead at the bottom of a boat. "'Happy thou,' said a voice, as he came to himself. "'Thou and two more alone are saved. Seek transit gloria mundi.' The poor boy received every attention and kindness on board the Prechapta Dei. They told him that he owed his life to having clung to the spar and to the prince's sign around his neck this they had marked and so made haste to rescue him before the rest who seemed not to be the prince's subjects when he was quite recovered he was taken before the commander of the prince's fleet who had charge of the precepta dei the venerable old man clad in white from head to foot received him kindly son thou art welcome happy am i that we were able to save thee now wilt thou sail with us and henceforth serve the prince my lord if i dared ask it i would beg leave to return to my old companions on the pox Woe the day that I left them! I know not if they will have thee back again, yet the desire is good. When we come in sight of her, I will signal to her, and inquire. Meanwhile, Theophilus here will be thy companion, and teach thee the duties of the prince's mariners. Theophilus warmly welcomed his old friend. "'Well, art thou happy on this great ship?' Symphorian asked. "'But wherefore didst thou leave the pox?' "'Nay, I know not. I have regretted it ever since. But the work was hard, and I grudged the labor. "'And is it easier here?' well one has more time to oneself and is more free but the work is not greatly to my taste and it is far more dangerous instead of working at the oar we have to climb the rigging and furl the sails man the yards and so forth and this is perilous work only a few hours back a lad fell off the yard by my side and disappeared in the stormy sea nor did we ever see him again and i fear a shark devoured him nor are the lads so blithe and friendly as on the pox some there are who are unkind, and oft-times I am very unhappy, and wish I were back again with Agathos and Calixtus and the rest. Oh, so indeed do I, replied Symphorian. Oh, if you only knew how miserable I was on board the Gloria Mundi. Not indeed at first, for then they flattered me with honeyed words, and all was merry and joyous. But soon they turned from mirth to cruelty, and they mocked me till my life was a burden to me, because I would not throw away the prince's sign. Hollow indeed and false were the joy and laughter upon that ill-fated ship and thankful, indeed, am I to have escaped with life. "'But wilt thou then return with me to the pox, if they will have us?' continued Symphorian eagerly. Theophilus hung his head. "'Nay, I know not. I fear it is too much for me.' "'Well, I do not, indeed, dare hope that I shall be received again. "'Yet will I beg the favor on my knees,' cried Symphorian, his eyes aglow with earnest determination. He seemed, indeed, a changed lad since the terrible experience of the shipwreck." and now the pox was sighted and a signal flew up to the masthead of the precepta dei which soon caused her to lay to until the big ship was alongside of her oh how symphorian's heart beat as he saw the well-remembered boat with the black sails and the faces of his dear old comrades on the deck how serious they looked in their black tunics even little theodore seemed changed and yet they were the same there was calixtus fair and smiling as of old and there agathos tall and sturdy as ever with the same dear steadfast face and the innocent gray eyes. How his heart beat as he leapt into the little boat, which soon bore him alongside the pucks, and as, after climbing on board, he flung himself at the captain's feet and begged to be admitted once more among his crew. Nay, son, was the reply, and cold and almost stern was the voice. Freely and of thy own will, and not without warning, didst thou leave us. We do not need thee now. Father, try me once more, I pray thee. How can I trust one who has wilfully deserted us to join the company of pleasure-seekers? Remain where thou art, it is better fitted for thee. Nay, but try me once again. Indeed, I am not the old Symphorian, he pleaded. My chosen companions have I seen perish before my eyes, and long before that I had learned my bitter experience that the so-called pleasures that they offered me were worth. Fain would I now make atonement. Place me in the lowest rank. Only let me stay with thee and thine father interrupted a voice low and broken in its pleading father does not the blessed one ever receive back into his bark those whose courage has once failed ah surely he is too compassionate to refuse them see calixtus went on for it was he who pleaded i myself am far more unworthy of a place among thy band than poor symphorian here yet thou hast pardoned me and placed me in the ranks of thy chosen ones pardon then our brother here i pray thee the old man's stern face relaxed a tender smile played for a moment round his mouth as he looked at the boys kneeling at his feet. Rise, my sons, he said softly, far be it from me to quench the smoking flax. Symphorian thy prayer is heard, he added, but though he spoke to that youth, methought his eyes rested rather on Calixtus. They rose in all joyousness, but as Symphorian began to pour out his thankfulness, the old man checked him. Nay, my son, prove thyself rather by deeds than words. To the oar, take up thy old work again and peace be with thee. End of section four